Today on the Dad the Best I Can show. Any thoughts on the prevalence of, of vaping and what it's going to do to our kids? Yes. Um, I promise you, you're, you couldn't exaggerate it. Um, the, this has become a phenomenon so rapidly. And, um, and I ask kids regularly, you know, like, huh, what percentage of kids do you think of your middle school, high school? are vaping or juuling or you know smoking something drawing some substance into their lungs and it's always higher than 50 percent. but some kids will say 70 80 it is absolutely alarming to me and this is where i lose perspective not not perspective i i lose my flexibility in other words i say most things are not binary are not either or but th this stuff, I think we don't have, I, I, right now in the headlines, right now, we're starting to see the negative effect. You're starting to see uh, here in Chicago, there is a boy who is hospitalized. He has been smoking, I think he's 16 years old. He's a high school student. He's been smoking, he's been vaping for two years. Um, the doctor says his lungs look like a 90 year old man who's been smoking his whole life. Welcome to the Dad the Best I Can show. My name is Rob Roseman, who wants to be a millionaire legend, Chicago futures trader, Vegas poker pro. Now I'm a dad to three kids, ages seven, five, and two. Phew, wears me out just thinking about it. Each week we bring on high-performing dads like you, entrepreneurs like Jesse Itzler, CEOs like David Cancel from Drift.com, Athletes like Ken Rideout, best-selling children's authors like Zach Bush, to tell us your stories, your dad tips and tricks, to help all of us make it through dad life. We have a brand new website over at dadthebestican.com. Go on over to dadthebestican.com and sign up with your email. It's 100% free, of course. Be the first to hear brand new dad guests and get weekly dad tips in your inbox. How else are you going to keep up with the roller coaster that is dad life? We are running a really fun dad challenge every single week. We talk dad life and learn from dads much wiser than us. We're using an awesome free iPhone app called Spar. You know how hard it is to make a new habit stick, like running, reading, writing, even flossing. With the Spar app, you can win or lose real money with a group of friends to hold you accountable. It's a lot of fun, and it seriously works. Find out more about the challenge at dadthebestican.com. There is a new challenge you can join right now. Okay, enough out of me. On to today's show. Okay, welcome to the Dad the Best I Can show. Our guest today is Dr. John Duffy. He is a psychologist and the author of the brand new book, Parenting the New Teen in the Age of Anxiety, a complete guide to your child's stressed, depressed, expanded, amazing adolescence. John is a two-time guest on the show. He, he came on earlier and we talked about what it's like being a dad today, why it's so important to cultivate our friendships, and basically why it's important to make time for you. John, you'll be happy to know I'm scheduling a guy's bowling night for next week. I got to let my wife know, but I'm taking your advice. Oh, I love that. You are, you are uh, walking the talk. That is outstanding, Rob. Yes. My, my kids want to come, but I said, nope, this is guy's night. Daddy's got to have friends too. So you got to... <laughs> 
And, and what you learn is I think it's harder for guys like getting something on the calendar. It's incredible how uh, I got to check on this. I'm like, just go, you'll, you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I think that's true. I, and I think we can take a cue from some of the women in our lives who are really good at protecting time for one another. And um, I'll talk to this myself. I have some really good guy friends, uh, but I tend to fill my calendar up too often with other things. So I really have to be intentional about protecting time. So I've, I've protected time for a guy's weekend in February that I'm super excited about, but that took some doing. I had to really think it through and, uh, and, and protect that time. So I, it takes a, some deliberation, I think, for us men these days. All right. Well, I'll put a challenge out to you. I'm sure you're busy with the book promotion, but how about a guy's night for you and for me uh, by the end of, by mid-October, one month from now? Put one on the calendar. I love that idea. I love that idea. That's a good throwdown. Challenge accepted. So where are you calling in from <laughs> today, John? I am just outside Chicago in LaGrange, Illinois. Chicago is maybe the greatest fall city. I don't know if we're in fall yet. Is it, has it cooled down much? We're, we're, it's cooling down as we speak. I mean, today is the coolest day I remember. And, um, and we're just moments from seeing leaves change. And I love this time of year here in Chicago. You are right about that. Oh, the, I don't know if you're a Cubs fan, but I was there when they were making a run and there's nothing better than some Wrigley leaves changing, grab some pizza. It's like, there is no better city in the world. Oh, and we could run down the rabbit hole on that because I'm a massive Cubs fan. And, uh, you know, that, that autumn of, of 2016 is, one that is seared in my mind as a man, as a father, uh, one that I will never forget. My son was in college, and during every playoff um, run, I went down to Indiana University, picked him up so that we could go to a game. Oh, wow. And you including went to- the World Series. Oh, yeah. wow. Incredible. That is a yeah. father-son yeah. moment that hopefully you'll get to do again. But you never <laughs> know with the Cubs. It could be 100 years. It could be. We will be very old men, but we we might be able to do it once again. Yeah, nothing like that environment. I can't imagine taking my kid. That is a dream I'd like to have is to take my kid to a, a big game like that when he gets older. That sounds that sounds like a memory. I uh, I hope you get the opportunity, Rob. It is it is absolutely invaluable to watch just the look on your child's face when something amazing happens you know with a team that he just is in love with you don't even have to go in the stadium i mean those tickets are expensive just being outside around that that energy is like uh it's infectious oh wrigley has energy that 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 goes out in waves for miles (laughs) so you could be at the lakefront here in chicago and feel the the wrigley energy well if they make a run you might see me out there i might be walking the streets of wrigley looking to scalp a ticket I'll be watching for you. Uh, so you are a dad. How old is your son now? Uh, my son is now 23. So you're an empty nester. Is that right? Is that a new new thing? Uh, the empty nest is actually a very new thing. Um, my son moved out just a couple of months ago. So my wife and I are adapting to life without George in the house on a regular basis. And uh, it's actually going smoother um, and happier than I thought it would in part because we think he's really happy and thriving where he is what so what is the best the best part and the most challenging part for the new empty nesters out there uh the best part is that um julie and i are kind of 
reinventing and rediscovering our relationship and our life together and what, how we want this to look in the next chapter. Um, the most challenging part is that at the beginning of the day, um, at the end of the day, he is not right there um, 95% of the day. So, you know, we see him fairly frequently, but that day to day of, you know, being together as a family unit, we, we have to reconfigure and reconceptualize that. And we miss him. We miss having him around. We really enjoy him. Yeah, um, I, I can't imagine when that day comes. I'm imagining sending him off to college. All these events are uh, more memorable in some ways for the parents than the kids. Oh, for sure. No, no doubt about it. I, I remember George and I were talking recently about his college drop-off day. I described in detail what the moment was like when we pulled away. And he said, um, with no sentimentality whatsoever, I have no recollection of that, Dad. <laughs> he, he must have had a good time in college then, too. He, he, he was very happy right from the gun, yes. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm very excited to hear about this book. Just the title alone, I was like ready to, ready to order it and dig in. My kids are a little younger, seven, five, and two, but I think that's one of the things you said is, you know, it's it, teenage life is starting earlier and earlier. So I do want to get ahead of it. But before that, yeah. but in prepping for this interview, I was listening to uh, your podcast with your wife, Julie, called Better, which is a fantastic listen. And I advise any parents to check it out. You'll get, you know, at least three nuggets that you can use that day. Um, you did a really oh, thank cool, you. you did a Q&A, which I really liked. And the first question uh, I'd love for, for us to talk about because literally we just started school here with my kids and the how was your day question came up, <laughs> you know, a tale is old yep. time, fine, you, know, you get nothing out of them, but I heard you right. really talking about it and I thought it was really interesting, something I'm going to actually use today, but can you explain to us or give us some strategies to, especially with the younger kids as we're starting out? a better way to ask yeah. how was your day and to open that conversation. Right. Um, so uh, kids sometimes sense that there's a little bit of a hunt for information going on <laughs> with the, how was your day question? And so there's, there's almost a natural resistance to it. Some of us may have had that when we were growing up. Um, the approach I prefer is, so what's going on at school? Like, tell me a little bit about the, atmosphere. Tell me what your class is like, because I hear every class is different. And if you kind of start broad, um, I think I, I, that's one of the answers where I described like concentric circles. So if your child's in the center of the circle, um, you don't necessarily want to ask specifically about your child right off the bat. You want to start all the way out to, you know, how, was, how, how did school seem? You know, what's the vibe in the school today? And work your way in and this doesn't have to be all one conversation and in all likelihood it won't be, but eventually your child will open up to you if you're really curious and, and you almost have to cop to what you don't know. And a lot of us don't know what the vibe is in a grammar school, a middle school, a high school these days. So if you come at it from a point of genuine curiosity, you're actually going to learn some things. Um, if you ask about your, your child's grades, their friends, their teachers. Um, that's different than saying, 
tell, have you done your math homework? Or, you know, like, have you been made new friends? You can get there. But if you, if you start there, it usually tends to be a non-starter for parents. So um, I always encourage kind of like really broad, open curiosity before you really zero in on, you know, like, tell me specifically about what's up with you. Um, and then when you do get there, if they're struggling with anything, you want to make sure it's clear that, hey, let's, let's collaborate on this. Let's figure this thing out so that, you know, you can have a, a good and happy school year, especially now, especially in these early weeks. Anxiety is high for any kid. The most secure kid is experiencing a little dissonance and a little discomfort walking into that building at the beginning of the day. Yeah, that's, that is helpful because I, we all come with this same thing probably that our parents asked us. And I know my mom always said, oh, you always just said fine and you would never talk about it. But maybe like you're saying, reframing the question, how was your day is kind of not accusatory, but it, what kind of answer are you really looking for besides fine or good? It's almost like the, how are you that we're guilty of asking people? I, I like, right. that. yeah, just kind of a little more laid back, a little more dispassionate and just curiosity. I like that yeah. idea. Yep. And, uh, and the other thing that I think maybe Julie brought up, which is one of my favorite points is, um, think about the tone you want to set in your home especially at the beginning of a school year. Um, you know, a lot of kids will tell me in this room where I am now, which is my, my therapy office, that um, it's tense when they walk into their house. They're worried about what their parents are gonna ask them or what they're gonna demand of them or that they've already looked at the portals and they're missing a, an assignment and they're gonna be in trouble already walking in the door. And the school day right now is stressful enough on kids so the way to think of home is way more sanctuary than, um, than a question and answer session, you know? So you want to make sure that your child is comfortable at home, is, is find some sense of, of sanctuary and comfort and pleasure um, so that they can get the rest of their day done efficiently, effectively, and happily. Because in the end, most parents will tell me they want their kids to be happy at the end of the day. Right. That's what we want, but we have to uh, be the guides to lead them there and not just rely on kind of what we were taught or, you know, cliches that we're asking. It's like, what do we expect them to say? So I'm going to, I'm going to apply that one today. And I think you also said maybe when they're in doing something they like, that's a good time to show interest and curiosity when they're watching a show or playing a game or you're out having a catch or something. Maybe your guard is yes. more and you're not as, you know, feeling like you're interrogating them. It's an old therapy room trick, honestly, Rob. It's a, um, if, I, if I'm working with a, a teenager or a tween age child and they're hard to engage, I've got a baseball in the office. And sometimes we'll just, from the, the chair to the couch, we'll toss it back and forth. I've got a chess set. I've got a, a checker set. I've got a couple other little toys and tinkering things to play with. And sometimes kids need to be engaged in order to open up. And um, there's nothing wrong uh, for any parent to meet your child there. And sometimes that's pretty fun. You can enjoy it. Yeah, now I'm, this is all like opening up to me. My dad is a family and child psychologist, and I'm learning all these tricks he used on me. They're uh, just tricks of the trick. starting <laughs> to see it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and definitely we get this from a, a whole other generation of psychologists. Most of us are, 
are just adopting um, some old techniques that tend to work pretty well. Okay. Next question I have. This is another selfish one about yeah. my kids that I'm, I'm excited to hear your input on. Um, I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old boys and a two-year-old girl. We've been going through a lot of the one-upping, no fair, everything has to be the same or better than the brother. And I actually right. have coming on, we recorded, it's going to be the next episode, Loretta Bruning, she wrote the book Habits of a Happy Brain, and she was telling me a lot of that comes from just, you know, serotonin, one-upping, social comparison, a lot of this stuff flowing through your kid's brain is that they need to be sure. on top. And once again, I was like nodding my head and admiring the problem. I think I've diagnosed it, but any tips on how we can explain to your our kids or my kids today why everything isn't fair, everything doesn't have to be the same, and small things maybe shouldn't be tantrums. I imagine that's a common problem I see parents all the time dealing with. What can a parent do to kind of uh, explain or smooth that out a little bit? Because that's something I'd like to nip in the bud. It definitely. And, and you're, you're trying to mitigate that. And I think probably precisely the right time, given your kids' ages, um, this feels like kind of an insurmountable task oftentimes for parents of multiple kids. It's like, you know, okay, so we've got this kind of not just sibling rivalry, but um, this, this uh, scorekeeping, right? This, there, there's some inequity here. Why didn't she yell at him like he yelled at me? Or, you know, why, why is there a privilege here and there wasn't one over here? And it's really important to explain to your kids from a really early age, hey, you know, mom and I, we, we love you all the same. We might parent you a little bit differently. So if you're trying to keep score, and I joke around with kids about this all the time, if you're trying to keep score, the scorecard's just going to blow up because you will never be able to, to, to track it. And what feels like a score for you might feel differently than to your brother or your sister. So that's never going to work out. You, you just have to trust that we love you all equally and we're going to make sure you all get what you need. Does that mean we're going to spend an equal number of minutes with you and you and you, or we're going to play a game with you and we're going to play the same game with each of the rest of you? Nope, it's not going to work that way every day. And some days are going to feel unfair and are going to feel unequal. And that is part of life. That doesn't change how we feel about you. You're just going to have to trust us that we're, we're doing our best on this end. And, um, and that's probably a conversation that you will have to have um, way underestimating this more than once, you know, this, this, because when you have multiple kids, this, I, I grew up with three siblings and this came up over and over and over again. Um, and, um, you know, and, and my parents, but my parents held the line pretty well. And we're really clear that, you know, like, yeah, you guys have different personalities. So we're absolutely going to treat you differently and parent you differently. That doesn't mean we love you any less. And that was the metric that I learned that they held on to really, really tightly is, you know, I love all of you the same. You might get parented wildly differently. I might have a different punishment for you for the same crime than I do for you. And you're just going to have to trust that I know what I'm doing. You don't have to like it. You just have to abide by it. So trusting that you're the adult and, and owning it and being confident about it. And even if you don't know what you're doing yep. all the time, just 
letting them know that you're on top of it. Yeah. The days of buying the same toy or giving the same exact uh, amount of cookies. I'm like, this cannot be a good habit to set in. This is not uh, no. This is not a fair world like that. But saying life's not fair to a seven and five year old, they don't really understand that. So I'm trying to keep improving on how I understand it and how I can explain it to them. Right, right. And, and, and again, I, I think it's a what, what sometimes we get stuck on as parents is um, we, uh, we feel like, okay, I have my kids attention for this moment. So I better find the right lecture that covers all the bases right now. And I run into this a lot because sometimes it happens right here in this room. And the spoiler there is um, you're not going to find the whole lecture and your kid's not going to integrate every word of it right now. So if you can trust your parenting that, you know what, this is going to be a process and hopefully my kids pick up little scraps and nuggets along the way. And then over time, the composite becomes really clear to them. They understand the gist. Maybe not day one, maybe not day three, but somewhere along the line, they understand broadly what the picture is. So will your five-year-old really understand why your seven-year-old gets to stay up a little bit later today? Probably not. And you could spend quite some time trying to explain that to him. Um, But over time, will he get that? Yeah, he'll eventually get it. But we have to be comfortable with the fact that this is a process and that your child might not be thrilled with every step of the process. And that's okay, too. That's, uh, that's part of raising kids is recognizing, you know what, everything isn't going to happen on my tab- timetable or on theirs. We have to trust that my kids can tolerate a little bit of frustration and get, get, get annoyed and still pull it together and and um and be appropriate behave appropriately despite not hearing what they want to hear or not fully getting it that this takes a little time almost everything in parenting fits this mold but this is a great example yeah this there's so much there you said that i'm like that is stuff i want to apply that a it's a long-term investment that's compounding over years just like uh, any financial investment that you probably won't really see a lot of the benefits until they're they're in college or george's age and that lowering our expectations, being okay. I mean, this is something I struggle with, like, and parents probably. It's about us. We want to have control. I'm like, why am I getting so stressed about this? Why can't I be okay with my kid having a meltdown right now? It's not me. It's it's him going through it. Mm. And to, to right. let go of that, maybe that's my ego, or I think that's what's interesting about being a new parent is, you know, we think we're the boss and we can control things, but we can only do so much. And the more we push or fight back, it seems like the worse it gets. So learning every day. Yeah. And, and exactly learning every day. And, um, and, and, and I think the generation of parents coming up now, um, parents raising kids, your kid's age, maybe a little bit older um, and certainly younger. Uh, there's, there's a shift that's taken place in a generation um, where uh, I, I, I'm using this analogy. I want to try it out on you, Rob, and see if it works. Uh, we, I think, I, I think our, we could argue that our parents, our fathers and mothers held the keys. They knew a lot about our lives. They decided how things were going to go. And because we had a modicum maybe of fear or anxiety about pleasing them, um, they were able to really drive our behavior to a great extent. And now the rules of parenting 
have changed significantly. And the keys, I think, now belong far more to the kids, and they're holding the keys far more than, than we were when we were kids. So if we're trying to fit the square peg in the round hole and try, trying to parent the way we were parented, that typically is not going to work very well. And it's going to cause us a lot of frustration on the parenting end, wondering like, wow, I'm doing what worked 30 years ago. Why is this not working today? And I think we have to recognize our kids are, are healthy skeptics. They have some control um, over how things go. And in order to really get through to them, we need to establish some goodwill because they're probably not anxious or afraid about mom and dad and their opinion to the extent that we were a generation ago. Does that make sense? Yeah, very much so. And I, mean, I think about that a lot too. It's like, have we gone too far? Are we? I mean, every family is different, but that's not to say what our parents did was bad or good. And that's not to say what we're doing, but it is different. Yep. Yeah. No, and I don't think that there's, I don't think a value judgment is even necessary at all. You know, I, I really do believe, and um, you know, a lot of parents, um, this is my passion as well. So I know a lot of parents, I've yet to meet the parents that wasn't acting um, in the best intentions of their child, that wasn't trying all the time and where parenting wasn't a big, big priority for them. Um, that doesn't mean we don't have our blind spots. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. But from every generation, I think everybody's trying and trying to learn from what's happened in the past, from the way we were parented, from what we see in other parents. Um, and it's one of those things that I don't think five generations from now it's going to be perfected, nor should it be. I think, I think the idea is um, to build confidence and resilience in your kids. And that means even dealing with some erratic parenting that is not perfectly informed, you know, because none of us are ever going to be perfect at this job. You and I study this stuff. And are we going to be perfect fathers? Not a chance because there is no such thing, you know. Um, so we just kind of hone things and kind of pick and choose from what's worked and what hasn't and what's working and what isn't working in real time, too. Great stuff. And a perfect segue into your book, which is Parenting the New Teen in the Age of Anxiety. And I think it really goes to the statement of parents thinking, you know, when I was your age or here's what I think mm. when I was a kid. And I hear a lot like, you know, I'm fascinated by the technology today, which I, I want to get to. But the general state of being a kid today, especially a teenager, is seems light years different than even when I was a kid growing up in the 80s. And I think a lot of that has to do yeah. with the technology and social media and things. But why, why did you write this book? And why do you think it's so important for parents to learn that this new set of strategies and tools to deal with their kids? I'm so glad you asked that, truly. Um, so I, um, last time we spoke, I don't know if I, if I spoke to this point, but I did not set out to write a parenting book. I was, I, I've kind of run, I've done that before. And I kind of felt like, oh, I've talked about being available as a parent and putting your fear and your judgments and your ego aside. I think I've said my piece, you know, in terms of like getting that out there to the masses. And then in the last four or five years, I've seen so many dramatic changes in the landscape of 
being uh, a tween and a teenage child and even a younger child and even being a young adult um, that have happened really, really rapidly. Like I feel like there's been a shift in the meaning and the challenges of adolescence that have taken place in the last five to 10 years on the long end. Um, and so, and I don't think there's many of us who have the luxury of the scope of seeing this, but those of us who are in therapy rooms or in, who are social workers in, in high schools and middle schools, there's a few of us who kind of see it. And so I have this group chat and we talk every once in a while, um, have you seen this more lately? Yes, I have. I, I'd never heard of this before. And um, so I wanted parents to feel like, okay, there are this, there's this massive new set of challenges for your kids and for you that are new on the horizon that didn't exist in 2011 when I published my first book. And there are also um, things you can do to ease your child's way through these challenges and to connect more deeply with them through them as well. But if you don't know anything about them, then you're parenting in the dark a little bit. And that these days feels like a dangerous place given uh, the shift in the social media landscape, the fact that I think about your kids, Rob, your kids are of that age where they don't remember a world without an iPhone or an iPad, you know, like, um, or social media or pop-up notifications of something awful happening in the world. Um, and so there's, and, and then there's vaping and juuling and this familiarity with mental illness and the medications and drugs affiliated with all of this stuff. So a lot of things have changed very, very rapidly with this kind of rapid information age. And um, along with that come parenting challenges because our kids are growing up super, super fast. Like your, your oldest is almost of the age that I would argue adolescence now starts as opposed to 12 or 13 because they are so inundated with adult-like information at really, really, really young ages. So as parents, we need to be really aware of that and we can start engaging in the we can and we need to start engaging in these conversations earlier and earlier in our kids' lives, even if that is um, a, a really kind of almost repugnant thought to us. We still need to be able to do that because our eight, nine, 10 year olds are being exposed to data, information, uh, alarming information at times. And if we are blind to that, then they're alone. In that landscape and i think that's a really really difficult place to be as a child and why do you think there is this resistance from parents to almost acknowledge it is it like a fear of change i mean i think it's i look at my own behavior with my phone and i'm constantly you know beat myself up a little bit about god i'm looking at this too much i'm checking it too much mm -hmm. and then i think you know it really wasn't until i had kids and we've seen the, like you were saying, that technology has accelerated so much and it's so like um, compounded and it's just coming at you. It's so many different ways that I think some people would rather just, you know, bury their heads in the sand and say, yep, yeah, it's just, just phones. That's just the way technology is today. And we just have to get used to it. Right. There's benefits from learning from it, which I think is true. There are benefits from it, but I think the you know, we're never going to really have abstinence from phones or technology, but I think it's so important to learn 
learn about, you know, the psychological impact of the stuff that's going on and, and really get a handle on our own use of it and then be able to talk about it with our kids. I agree completely. And, and I think you're right that there's this resistance. Part of it has to do with like, oh, let's just accept this new, new world order. And, you know, maybe we don't have to talk about it a whole lot. And, and if we talk about it, maybe we're encouraging more use, not less. Um, there's also, I've noticed lately, uh, and parents have been very overt in expressing this to me, a little bit of a grief process affiliated with the idea um, that, wow, I thought my, my child was going to be able to be young and innocent and childlike for longer than eight or nine years. I didn't know we were going to have this hard stop. I was looking forward to those tween years, this cushion between childhood and adolescence. And you, John Duffy, are telling me, oh, that, that doesn't really exist the way it used to. Um, your, your kids are being exposed to way too much information for you to not have those teenage conversations at really, really young ages about really uncomfortable things. And so I think, I think it makes a lot of people sad that they don't get a few more years of, can't they just be young and sweet and little and innocent? I think that's a really hard thing to um, accept as parents. Um, more And more and more, it's, you know, the ages are getting younger and younger where we have to have these difficult talks with our kids, or at least introduce them to our kids. And, um, and a lot of parents will just tell me, man, I just wish this wasn't the case. Um, I would rather not do that. But my press is, yeah, the risk affiliated with not doing it is substantial. And it's not a risk we want to take, but I don't want to um, ignore that grief because I think that's very, very real. That that idea that, you know, like, oh wow, I thought I had a kid, a child, you know, um, who wanted to be held and who, you know, was just uh, playing on the soccer team and enjoying life, not burdened by what's going on in the world around them. Not yet. You know, like I wish this this we had a couple more years where they didn't have to carry this stuff around. And so I think that's part of the resistance of parents is like, hmm, I wish things weren't this way. That, that makes a lot of sense because it is in our day. It was, we were, you know, I'm always wondering, don't you guys want to go outside and play? That's what I did when I was a kid. And occasionally, yeah, we played plenty of video games and stuff, but just the fact sure. that there's a phone or an iPad in arm's length is, and that, that is designed engineered to be addictive and, you know, not in a bad way completely, but they're making these games and social media and everything that you can't help from coming back to it. So we are dealing with like a new beast. And I, I agree with what you're saying. It's like hard for us to wrap our heads around because we're coming at it from an adult point of view that we, we barely understand maybe the impact of this stuff. So how could we expect our kids to want to turn it off or not check their social media and things? So I imagine, yeah, there is a lot of learning we all need to do. So I'm glad. I'm glad you're talking about it. And I would like to hear more about what you think about, I heard somebody say he's really good. He's a teacher. He said he's really good at admiring the problem, but he doesn't really know what to do about it. So I think a lot of us are getting to the point where, okay, we think there's a problem, but what should we do? And we can start with 
we could start with the phones and, and talk about that a little bit and how parents, you know, there's no certain age when they get them, but what can we do to kind of have these conversations with our kids and, and understand it better ourselves? Um, I'm glad you asked. And, um, and that's a big part of why I wrote this book too. I wanted parents to feel like they had tools for any of these things. And I did find uh, upon reflection, kind of issue by issue, I find that the advice I offer parents is pretty consistent. So what we talk about with phones probably will apply to a lot of other things as well. And the key to all of this stuff is open communication. You know, you can come and talk to me about this stuff anytime. I'm going to be curious about that. And I can imagine a lot of parents listening to you and I right now thinking, well, yeah, of course, we're going to talk about it. But what, we, but what a lot of parents do is they will lecture their kids about like, you know, let's think about phones, for example. You know, you, you shouldn't spend so much time on your phone. There are studies that show that if you spend more than two hours on your phone a day, that that will affect your brain development and your emotional well-being. And so you absolutely shouldn't spend that much time. And somewhere about 15 seconds into the lecture, and I've witnessed it in this room, <laughs> you, you can watch the kids, uh, you know, th that, that child's attention wane very quickly. I've heard this before. I know this bit. Um, so what I encourage parents to do consistently is listen more than you talk. You, you, your, your, mouth, your ears are a far more powerful tool in parenting these days than your mouth. And, um, and kids are really good teachers. And what we don't know, so parents will tell me like, oh, my son's on Snapchat. And so if I talk to a, a group of parents, which happened recently, Rob, I'll ask somebody to come up, you know, and I've got Snapchat on my phone. And I'll say, somebody come up and show me how Snapchat works. Just talk, talk the audience through it. And it's comical because none of us know how this works, right? <laughs> it's, it's like, like a lot of these things, it's designed in a way it feels like to elude parents, right? Um, my, my child will post a meme or something awful up there and then it will suddenly disappear and I will have no way to, to retrieve it. You know. <laughs> so, um, but kids are really good teachers. So if you ask your child, you know, like, I don't understand Snapchat at all. And I know you're on that kind of every day for a little while. Show me how it works. Kids are pretty good teachers. But you have to come at this from a point of curiosity, not from a gotcha kind of point of view, you know, because kids are onto us and they'll know like mm, there's trouble brewing here. I know that I'm going to get in trouble on the back end of this. So I'm not that interested. So I'm going to tell you very little or I'm going to tell you the parts that I'm comfortable telling you. But if you really have open discussions with your kids that are ongoing, then you will learn an awful lot from them. And this is the first generation that in many areas of their lives, they know more than we do. They know more about the phone. If we, if we decide, oh, I'm going to take social media away. I've had so many kids laugh about the idea that their parents are going to take social media away because they're, they're, they're thinking like, well, there's an iPhone 4 in the drawer in the kitchen. I'll just start that and I will have my social media back. Like I'm, I'm eight steps ahead of them as far as that goes. So we have to be, we have to realize that certain things are not plausible. Um, and, you know, and, and so, and, and we, the more we learn from our kids about how this stuff works, the better. And the more we recognize our kids didn't come up with this stuff. We, you know, our generation developed this stuff and kind of handed it to them. So we can't be too angry with them 
that they're drawn to it because if we were um, seven or 14 or 17, we'd be really interested in this, this stuff. This stuff is really cool. You know, Snapchat is really fun. And the video games today are really, really amazing. And so to tell your, your kids, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be interested, I wish you were out playing, um, it doesn't really ring that loud if you don't acknowledge, I get that this is really cool. I'm not going to take this all the way out of your life, but we are going to control it because it's not always good for you. Yeah. So what is the dangers that you see? I mean, you're seeing kids in your office all the time. What are the big problems that we need to watch out for? Yeah. So um, I, uh, I balked at the idea, um, the APA, the organization I belong to, the American Psychological Association, has been lobbying Congress for a video game addiction and phone addiction for, for actual diagnoses. And for a long time, I thought, mm, this doesn't really meet the, the same model as alcohol addiction or, um, you know, a cannabis, cannabis abuse or, or abuse of harder drugs. But the more I attend to it, the more I find I'm not sure that's true at all. I think the addiction might be the right word. And, um, and some kids who don't feel good in other parts of their lives will spend the lion's share of their time trying to find their self-esteem through likes or through kills in a video game. Um, and what we want to do as parents is we don't, uh, it, it's implausible 99.8% of the time to take this stuff all the way out of your children's lives. So what you want to do is you want to fill up enough of their time with other activity. You know, let's, let's join the swim team. Let's, let's join a play, a group, a club, a band, whatever. And um, so that your time that's available to be on the phone or in front of the, the TV or the computer or whatever, let, let's put that in the margins. Let's not make that the lion's share of your life where you develop your self-esteem. Let's develop your self-esteem in other areas. And this falls on mom and dad. Kids aren't going to make this choice. But um, let's develop your self-worth and your self-esteem in other areas. And then this other stuff will become just superfluous. It'll be, it'll be important to you. It'll be fun. It might wind you down for the day a little bit, but it won't be primary. And I worry about kids who have their screens as primary drivers of their time spent and specifically of their senses of self-worth. That's where things become real dicey in my mind. Yeah. And what you said there is it's on us as parents. And that is one one example of where I think it is more challenging for parents today, because before you would have to find something to do. You didn't have this distraction. And as a dad, I can tell you when I'm cooking dinner or doing something else, it is easier to tell your kid to just go play a game and leave you alone when you have something. And now oh, it, there is more so work for parents. So I, th yes. I think that is, you know, parents are working more. And they're doing, you know, side projects, all kinds of things. So I think that is where the challenge comes in. And it's, I mean, I just see as a parent, it's easier to give them this thing. So you're saying. Absolutely. So how, how would you respond to that? Yeah, no, I, I, um, I completely acknowledge that. I think it's, I think we are all working parents, you know, um, whether, whether we are staying at home with the kids, that's a lot of work, whether we are out there. Uh, in the workforce, uh, collecting money and then coming home. Either way, 
it's exhausting to be a parent these days. And so, um, you know, the idea that we would never take advantage of the idea like, boy, I could, I could flip them the iPads and I think I might have a half an hour, <laughs> you know, um, I do not begrudge parents that luxury. Um, and, and that half an hour isn't the end of the world for kids. Three hours is, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I, I think it's kind of like attending to your child and your child's specific needs and recognizing, okay, this is getting to be too much. We're doing too much of this. So I've got to kind of reconfigure the way I spend my time, my priorities a little bit in order to be more available to them more of the time or to recognize like, you know what? It's okay if I do this once in a while. And I, and I think this is not binary. I don't think this has to be either or. This is the tightrope walk of parenting these days is to find the lane that works for you, your family, and your child. And for every family, I am convinced the answer is going to be different. Sometimes child to child, the answer is going to be different. Like you might find that your seven-year-old is more drawn to video games than your five-year-old that might be drawn to baseball, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so, so you might have to have different rules for different kids. Um, But this is the important stuff to attend to as parents. Uh, But, but I don't think it has to be absolute. I, I don't think the screens are such a, are, are so lethal that any exposure to them is going to cause, you know, um, some kind of stunted development. I don't think it, I'm confident, and I, I would say so if I felt otherwise, that that is not the case. It's in excess, and it's where you feel like it's primary to your kid's sense of self-worth. That's where it becomes a problem in my mind. Short of that, a little while every day, I'm cooking dinner, they're rambunctious, and I can't calm them down, and I know the iPad will do that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it'll regulate things for half an hour while I just get this stuff together. Absolutely. You know, um, I travel a lot and, and you, you may as well. And I cannot imagine, <laughs> I don't know how we traveled with my 23 year old when he was nine, <laughs> you know, without having this, this tool at our disposal, mm-hmm. because it is pretty invaluable in those transition periods where it's like, okay, you guys, we're going to take care of business. We're going to talk to the, the counter agent. You guys just hang out with the iPads. We'll be back in a minute. Everything's going to be fine. You know, uh, I think it's okay to do that. I don't think we have to be so rigid about this stuff. And I think sometimes when we become overly um, kind of paramilitaristic about this stuff, I think we can get into a different kind of trouble where uh, when that child then is at her friend's house, she might be like, wow, let me see Snapchat. Let's play some video games, you know? And then all of a sudden, if it happens behind your back, as opposed to right in front of you, uh, where you can actually regulate it. That's really good because, yeah, we can, it, there isn't like a binary thing, like you said, abstinence. I do know some people that just don't have a TV in their house and that sounds amazing, Absolutely. but it's not working for us. So it's, it's right. finding some kind of middle ground and reminding yourself to be nice to yourself, you know, be gentle to yourself. Don't be yourself up when I give it to them, which I'm guilty of sometimes. Uh, I know yeah. I- you know, and I think that's tricky, but I think that's really, really important in, in parenting in general is not to beat yourself up mm-hmm. and, and not to beat each other up. I think sometimes we're really, really judgmental of other parents and I, the utility of that is lost on me. Um, so I encourage us to do way, way less of that and be kinder and gentler to each other. 
it's good advice. I, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I know I don't have you for too much longer. Can you touch on, I'm fascinated by and terrified by this uh, vaping trend that I'm seeing. And it seems like, yes, yeah. kids always smoke cigarettes and teenagers, but it seems like this has taken over. And I don't know if I'm exaggerating it. My kids aren't there yet, but I know it's coming. Any thoughts on the prevalence of, of vaping and what it's going to do to our kids? Yes, um, I promise you, you're, you couldn't exaggerate it. Um, the, uh, this, this has become a phenomenon so rapidly. And, um, and I ask kids regularly, you know, like, how, what percentage of kids do you think of your middle school, high school are vaping or juuling or, you know, smoking something, drawing some substance into their lungs? And it's always higher than 50%, but some kids will say 70, 80 it is absolutely alarming to me. And this is where I lose perspective, not, not perspective, I, I lose my flexibility. In other words, I say most things are not binary, are not either or, but th this stuff, I think we don't have, I, I, right now in the headlines, right now, we're starting to see the negative effects. You're starting to see uh, here in Chicago, there is a boy who is hospitalized. He has been smoking, I think he's 16 years old. He's a high school student. He's been smoke. he's been vaping for two years. Um, the doctor says his lungs look like a 90 year old man who's been smoking his whole life. Hmm. So, um, and a friend of mine is an ER doc and he kind of echoes that, that sentiment in some of the kids that he's seen. So I think there's an epidemic waiting on the back end of this. I think this stuff was snuck underneath parents' radar in a lot of ways. Um, I remember seeing it a couple of years after it was introduced to the market, a jewel in particular, and a boy showed me what it was, and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, I, so this is one of those areas where I encourage parents to play the parent card. And I don't encourage it very often, but to be absolute about this, you know, kind of like this is not happening. There's no utility to it. There's no feel good to it. This is only going to cause damage to you. And it is highly addictive very, very quickly because th these things, Rob, are um, these, these um, little vials that these things come in are super concentrated. Mm -hmm. And so there's an awful lot of nicotine or an awful lot of marijuana. Um, and, um, and, and the delivery methods are so similar between the two that um, they are gateway drugs to each other back and forth, mm -hmm. to my thinking. Um, and neither one of them particularly healthy or useful, especially the way kids use them. So um, this is where I really encourage parents to play the parent card and have pretty close, to, well, no, an absolute zero tolerance rule about that. Um, and I have that here in my office where I encourage kids, and this is, <laughs> I was going to say this is between you and I, but clearly it's not. Um, if kids are willing to bring their vaping or juuling devices into the office here, I am willing to go up on the roof and they can videotape it. We will smash it with a hammer <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they can put it on, they can put it on Instagram or they can put it on Snapchat. That's how strongly I feel about the lethality of what we're looking at here. And I don't even think we've scratched the surface. I this stuff terrifies me. And if by the time your seven year old is 14, we can chase this stuff off the market. 
that would be my preference. This is the scariest thing to me right now. Oh, that's super powerful to hear because this is, I mean, phones to a much lesser extent, but this seems like another thing that, well, they're safer than cigarettes. There's no smoke and we don't know the effects of it. So we do kind of sweep it under the Mm -hmm. rug and they're so secretive. You know, the fact that it can be camouflage and be doing it all the time and starting younger and younger. Yeah, it's, it's almost, uh, it's, it's good to hear that you're putting your foot down on this one because I think we need to hear this one. I won't budge on. Nope. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this is, you know, and I don't expect kids to recognize how lethal it is. You think about like, I, I think about friends of mine who smoked cigarettes when we were 16 because, Hey, it looks cool. Well, if you, if you, if I were 15 years old right now and we saw a jewel, um, the truth is, it's pretty cool. There's these little cartridges and there's the, you know, and this little heating coil and it looks like a, a flash drive. It looks a little space age. And, you know, like, so whoever designed this stuff, they had, they, they knew what they were doing and they were appealing to teenagers in a very effective way. So I get it. And kids have explained to me, like, you know, I really think this is pretty cool. Don't you? And I don't disagree with them in, in, in visually, but what it does to the body I don't think we have any idea, mm-hmm. I, I, but I know it's bad. <laughs> so I do. I'm with you. I put my foot, foot down really hard here. And, um, and I'm really not vague with my clients at all about my feeling about this. I appreciate any kid I work with knows how strong I feel about this. Yeah, I appreciate you saying, cause I do think a lot of parents, myself included, we don't know. We're like, well, they're not as bad as cigarettes. So we let them slide. Kids will be kids. And we, we almost need somebody like you to, you know, step out there and say, nip this in the bud early. Yep. Yep. Uh, because these are highly concentrated and, and I'm not convinced they're not worse than cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I don't think any of us really know what we're looking at here. Let's take a quick break for our dad tip of the week brought to you by Kickstart Reading. Do you have kids between the ages of three and six? I've got two boys, and when my older son was going into kindergarten, my wife and I quickly learned that we had no idea how to teach him how to read. We found Kickstart Reading and watched one two-minute video together, and you could see his confidence take off. Bonus, I felt like dad of the year. Here's another dad talking about how Kickstart Reading is helping his boys learn how to read. Hey there, this is Chris Heller, and I'm a big fan of Kickstart Reading. Each morning before school, I show a video to my four-and-a-half-year-old son, and now his little two-year-old brother is getting in on the action as well. I'm a big fan of the videos. Highly consumable and engaging for young boys. Definite recommend for all parents out there who are looking to get their kids off to the right start with reading. Kickstart Reading. Go to kickstartreading.com and use the code DAD to get 65% off right now. That's D-A-D, DAD. See? It works. Kickstartreading.com. Now back to the show. Dr. John Duffy, can you give us a dad tip for other dads out there? Yes. So, so a thought for dads, and this is based on recent experience in my office. Um, so a lot of dads feel like they have to be the heavy. And this is, I've heard this from dads recently. Like, you know, um, I've got to be the tough guy. And um, my bias is, and this is from watching dads with their sons, when they are gentler with their sons and with their daughters, when they come up with a softer, gentler touch, they make a bigger impact. So, and, and, and they're modeling something. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay to feel what you feel and you can still be a guy's guy and you can still look forward to the bears Packers game tonight and, and be 
a kind, soft, gentle person that can all fit in the same universe. So that's what I encourage dads to think about now is bringing a more gentle approach to your parenting. Even if your dad was the iron fist guy, you do not need to be that guy. And you're going to get more, you're going to move further down the line more quickly if you choose not to be that guy. That's good to hear because that is a struggle. I think all guys uh, deal with is this whole masculinity issue. And I want my kids to hear that. Mm -hmm. And you see other dads acting a certain way. So good to hear you're giving us permission to behave like that. So let's wrap up. Good time to change that. Yeah, absolutely. Things are not as bad as we think. I think that's one thing. I think that's a important thing you bring up in your book too, is that, you know, kids are great. Teenagers are amazing and this is a great time for them. So can you, yes. can you leave us with a, a, a solid thing and not, not all fear of vaping and phones and everything? Yeah. Um, the, the beauty of to this day and age is because kids are so worldly, they've learned so much from being online. They are deeply empathic and caring. They're really good at taking care of each other. Bullying is diminishing rather quickly in most high schools and middle schools. Um, we are raising really, really good, kind thoughtful people. So there is a little bit of gloom and doom in some of the things that are happening that I describe in the book, but the fundamentals underneath it are you are raising good people. And that is something to celebrate. That's great, John. I I really appreciate you coming on here. I think this message that you're sharing is, is so important for parents to hear. You know, we're all leaning on people like you to teach us so we can teach our kids. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I'd love to have you on again and have a great fall in Chicago. Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening to the Dad the Best I Can show. Go take five seconds, hop on over to dadthebestican.com and sign up with your email to get weekly updates, dad tips in your mailbox. Get your questions answered on the show. That's dadthebestican.com. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Actually, five stars. We could do better than that. Brooks? Infinity. Infinity stars. Cameron, how many stars? Infinity thousand. Infinity thousand. You got to one-up them in this household. Thanks. See you.